Well, amen. I hope that's what he means to you, too. Amen. That's good. Well, we're kind of kicking off a new series tonight, Money and Possessions. And this isn't about the Dave Ramsey special, I'm telling you. Uh, if you didn't go to that, you missed it. I mean, that's just all there is to it. I'm not going to teach you all the stuff that you could have learned. And the bottom line is what we're going to be addressing and dealing with here, uh, pretty much in our, our subject matter over the next few weeks, is we're going to be dealing with our attitude toward money and possessions more than anything else. Not so much uh, how to deal with money. I mean, that's something you, you, know, you needed to dig into and figure out when you had the opportunity. So I don't want to waste the time of, of many of you who did take the course. So we're going to focus our attention primarily on our attitude toward money and things. And so I trust that it will be a help and a blessing to you. And again, I hope that many of you that took that course a few months back, I hope you're still kind of working through that. I hope you haven't tossed it out the window and given up on it. And uh, I tell you, it, you know, that, that monthly meeting is important. And I'll be honest with you, we missed last month. This month, we got to kind of work on it and catch up a little bit. It's been kind of busy. But boy, I tell you what, it makes a difference, doesn't it? Getting in there and discussing things and working together and getting it going in that direction and, and accounting for every penny. Listen, if you don't account for every penny of the money that God gives you as a steward, then you are not a good steward. You're not. Can you imagine if you only accounted for three of the four of your children? You wouldn't be a very good parent, would you? You better know where every penny's going and why it's being spent. Everything on purpose, with a purpose. That's how we ought to do things, and money's no different. Nonetheless, Jesus talked a lot about money, boy. He spent a lot of time talking about money. Sixteen of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. You know, it's funny, you know, uh, in our church, we don't talk a lot about money. We don't talk a lot about giving. We don't talk a lot about those things. We probably ought to talk a little bit more about it because we're to teach the whole counsel of God. I think sometimes, really, I kind of shy away from it a little bit for fear that, you know, it's like anything else. You mention certain things at least once or twice, and they say that's all you preach on because that's the area they're having a problem with. And when it comes to money, that's the thing. If you're tithing and you're giving and you're, you're, you're confident that you're where God wants you to be, you never have a problem with the preacher preaching on money. And yet in our churches across America today, it seems a lot of people have problems with it. It's not really going to be a, a matter of the giving issue. It's really about the attitude toward money that's causing the problem then. And that's what we really want to address is our attitude toward money along the way. Sixteen of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of ten verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer. Less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. I'm telling you what, the God, God says this thing's pretty important. You want to know why? Because everything in life has to do with this issue of money, doesn't it? I mean, really, when it's all said and done, without money, you're going to have a hard time existing in this world. And so what God wants to do, as we talked about over the last couple of nights, as we heard interjected and kind of inserted into the materials, is that God's got a rule book. And like Pastor Jones said, you've got to follow the rules. Whether it's with the Word of God and so many other areas or the money, whichever it might be, boy, you've got to follow the rules. So money and possessions are a big deal to God. And they ought to be a big deal to us. And uh, one of the greatest temptations that we face as believers today, in America at least, is the tremendous temptation of materialism in our culture. I mean, it's huge. 
And I'm, I'm convinced of this, and, and I believe this is in a number of areas in the Christian life, but this is one of those areas where many times we think we really got a good handle on it, but we don't. I mean, we think our attitude toward it is really biblical, when in reality, it's not. I think if you would look at the attitude of some of the early Christians way back there in Antioch and how they opened up their homes to people that had flooded their city and how they said, you know what, there's no way you need to be going back to your town yet. You've got to be grounded in the faith. You come live with us. You stay with us. We'd say, that's crazy. There ain't no way in the world I'd do that. That'd cost me too much. I'd, I'd feel like I was putting my family at risk. I'd do this. I'd do that. Let me tell you something. I think sometimes there's a lot of attitudes that we have in America today, at least as American believers, that we think that we are extremely tied or close to what God intended, but we might be a little bit further off than we think. Peter Granditch, he's an ex-Wall Street guru. He's a financial counselor. He points out that, quote, our whole culture now is built on the premise that we have to have more money and more stuff to feel happy and secure. Hold on now. Did, did you hear what I said? Happy, he said, happy and what? Secure. It's funny, a Christian will say, well, I don't need a bunch of things to be happy. Yeah, but let's take away your security. Let's go ahead, go ahead and put your, you lose your job and what happens in most cases? A man or a woman loses their mind. They become frantic. God no longer exists. Because there's still bills to pay, and we know that he's not really here anyway. I mean, let's get real about how we really feel. I mean, why in the world do we lose our minds when something financial strikes, when a, some kind of issue comes along? Wife loses her job, husband loses his job, or possibly you, you, know, you, you come into an issue where your, 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 your bills increase you know, without really notice, and we freak out, and we go, oh my, I don't even know if we're going to be able to make it, and... And you know what we do a lot of times, don't you? Well, we do what any good Christian would do. Pay the bills and forget about God. I'm telling you, it happens a lot more than you'd realize. I hope it doesn't happen to you tonight, but I've seen it happen to some good Christian people. I've seen people take jobs that made twice as much money as they were making because the money was more important than the church they were in and then the doctrine their kids were being taught and how their family was being grounded in the Word. And they had no church to go to where they were leaving to. And their families were then out of church. And as far as I know, they've never been back in church. But that was a good move. Why? Because it gave them better and more security. If you think a house is going to give you the kind of security that you need... It may give you some temporal security, but my friend, it will never give you eternal security, and there'll still be a void in your heart. It is not going to be the things you possess, and it will not be the money you have in the bank. In the end, it's going to be Jesus Christ and Him only that's going to give you the kind of security that you really need. And let me give you men just a little bit of a, a piece of advice from the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says that your job, your main job, is to provide a nice house for your family or a good income for your family. You know what your Bible says your wife needs more than anything else in the world from you, sir? It's called love. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. It doesn't say provide for your wives. You say, but love is providing. It is. It is. But understand that if they don't feel love because you're so, it's so, so crazy about giving them security, you're going to go ahead and work 50,000 hours a week, never once talk to your wife, never once see your wife. And let me tell you something. She'd rather see you a little bit more than have a nicer house. Let's have the modest house. 
Let's have the simple bills and let's at least have a relationship. That's what your wife would prefer. And if she doesn't, then she needs to figure out what the biblical pattern should be. Our whole culture, he says, and this is not a Christian man, now is built on the premise that we have to have more money and more stuff to feel happy and secure. Public storage is the poster child for what's wrong with America. I told my wife about a year or so ago, I said, I want to open up some storage facilities. She said, there you go again, coming up with all these ideas. Everything I've ever told her I wanted to do, hit it big. Hit it big. I've had ideas through the years. I went, man, we ought to get a miniature golf course with an ice cream stand beside it. (laughs) She's like, we don't have time for that. And I was like, you're right, but boy, I think we could make some money. Boy, could we have ever. And, and, And all these different ideas, you know how it is. Some of you do the same thing as I do. Some of you think you belong on Shark Tank. I mean, honestly, they're instant successes the moment they go on the thing, aren't they? It seems like it. And if not, they're at least, you know, one-shot wonders, and they at least come away with a million dollars from it. But he says public storage is the poster child for what's wrong with America. We have too much stuff because we've bought into the myth, fabricated by Wall Street and Madison Avenue, that more stuff equals more happiness. And don't think for a minute we haven't bought into it. I wonder how many guns we need before we're happy. You know where I'm going with this, guys. Come on, let's get real. You know, how many pairs of shoes do we really need, ladies? I'm just saying, you know, when you think about it from a very practical standpoint, we often buy into that same idea. Why do we buy all these things? Well, you can't pass it up. It's such a bargain. You know, years ago, and it's not so much now, but even now, you go to Mark's and they got that one section over there. And you walk by and you think, I don't need it, but boy, that's such a good deal. I'm going to have to get it right now while it's on sale. So I don't go in there with any money anymore. But I'm telling you right now, let's face it, if we're not careful, we find ourselves buying into some of this without realizing it. We, would, we wouldn't admit that, it's that we look for happiness, but why is it that we do what we do, though. Because if we really don't need it, then it must be we just want it. Why do we want it? Probably because somebody told us we want it. And they've tried to convince us that we need it. And we've even bought into it. Listen, advertisers are pretty sharp. But sadly, believers have. We've equally fallen for the lie of the devil as well. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, would you? You say, boy, is this how this whole thing's going to go? No, these, this is just all introductory. This is just fun stuff. <laughs> Notice what it says in Philippians 2.5. And again, I'm, I'm convinced that, that as believers, we've got we to get to the place where we abide by this passage. In the area of money as well. Not, not just, you know, because it's funny. If I would ask you today, you know, name, some, name a spiritual thing in the Christian life. You'd, I'd get all kinds of, let's just do it for a minute. Let's name some spiritual things. What are, what are some spiritual things? What, what, what are some spiritual things that you really got to have nailed down? What are they? Anybody got any ideas? Anything? Huh? Prayer. You got prayer. Prayer is so important, isn't it? 
And it's very spiritual, very much so. I, I, that's a great one. That's a great one. But anything else, maybe? Yeah. Okay, to have joy, of course. Uh, yeah, without a doubt, you need that. And that would be considered spiritual, especially since it's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, we get that. That's good. That's real good. What, what about, yeah. Be, being giving, in a sense. Yeah, being giving. Benevolent, if you will. To, huh? Yeah. Oh, oh, charity, that way. I thought you meant, like, giving to, like, goodwill. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> there you go, using biblical words on me again, confusing me. Very good. Yeah, certainly. Loving people and loving, loving the right things. Absolutely. I mean, that, that would be spiritual. We'd see it in the Word of God. We touched on it not long ago. That's excellent. Excellent work there. Yeah. I think, yeah, you had one? Faith. Yeah, faith is a very spiritual thing. You, you know, is your faith, you know, if it's weak, let's build it up. If it's, if it's strong, let's maintain it and even grow in our faith. All of those things. Okay, so let's stop right there for a minute. But you know what usually does not come up for being spiritual in the Christian life is finances and money. Again, if the Bible talks more about that than it does those other issues, directly at least, then it's got to be a spiritual matter. How we address our finances, how we deal with our money is a spiritual issue. It's not just a, well, you got, I mean, you got to buy physical things with money and you, you know, you pay bills with money. I know, but the truth is you have a body that is adapted to the physical world you live in, but it's still a spiritual issue of coming, being separate from the world, isn't it? I mean, being in but not of, and, and that's spiritual. And the money that we have, the way we use our money and the way the attitude we have toward our finances and our money, that is a very spiritual matter. And it's addressed in the Word of God. And you know what mind you need when you address those issues? Here it is, Philippians 2.5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, hold on. I know the context of the passage. If you'd read from the beginning of chapter 2, it says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. It's there again. See that? Be like-minded, having the same love, being of the one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You getting the feeling of what's going on here, the mindset here, of the mind of Christ and what it's supposed to be about, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, watch, of no reputation. Wow. You know what attitude that is? Humility. Let me tell you something. When we deal with money, you know why most of us are so greedy toward our money and want so much about our money? Because it's really not about others ever. It's about us. There's no humility in that. We've got to have the mind of Christ in these issues. I mean, we're to esteem others better than ourselves. We're to not just, it just says, look not every man on his own things. And we start talking about sharing and giving and being open to meeting the needs of a brother, according to 1 John, that's in need, or closing our bowels of mercy to them. Man, that's a spiritual matter. We're admonished then to let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in us. So what is Christ's mind again on the matter? Well, it's humility. 
but I also want you to see what it is specifically on this issue of money. Look over in Psalms chapter 37. I'm not going to argue, you know, who wrote the Bible, but I think we'd agree it was God. And Jesus is God, so I think we can use the Psalm 37 here. Look what he says here. In the Word of God, interestingly enough, he says, verse 16 and 17, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Now, clearly God is not impressed with the riches of the wicked then, correct? Because I know the wheels are turning and somebody's thinking, well, a righteous man can have money too. Well, don't get ahead of the game, guys. We'll get there. But what we do see is that God's not impressed with the riches of the wicked, is he? That's what we know. We know that from the passage. He is not impressed with the the riches of the wicked. Matter of fact, he's saying here very much so. He says he's much more impressed with the little that a righteous man hath. That means more. A A little that a righteous man hath is better, he says. You and I should place righteousness then at a premium and not riches. That's the real issue here. The problem is is that in our Christian lives, if we're not careful, it's not about how much I have. It's about my attitude with what I have. That's what God's trying to impress upon us. And my question to you and God's question to each of us is, what's more valuable to you, your riches Or your righteousness? What what matters more to you? What's most important to you? And I say this from time to time. You know, I believe that a young man, a young woman ought to get an education if they can. Especially these young men got to go out and they do have a responsibility to meet needs in their family's lives. I get all of that. And you know what? If you're going to make 10 bucks an hour, you might as well make 100 an hour. I'm all for that. I have no problem with that. But my question is this, as parents, what do you want more for your son or daughter? What do you want more for your child? Would you rather them to be rich or righteous? And what are we teaching them? What attitude are we giving them in our homes and in behind the scenes and even in the church house? How valuable is the spiritual aspect of their life versus the physical aspects of their life? Is it that I want to prepare them and I want to ready them and I want to make them have a desire and a longing to be rich, to have a good income, to be secure in this world in which we live? Or is my real goal, my real desire, my greatest hope that they will be spiritual, that they will be righteous? Because just like some of you thought right off the bat when we read it, there's nothing wrong with a rich person, you know, a Christian being rich. You are on the money and we'll address that issue. But the attitude does matter and it is most important to God. Because in God's economy, what's most important to him is not the riches that you possess, but your righteousness. And it ought to be the most important to each of us. Look at Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. 
We'll not spend a lot of time on this because we'll touch on it again later on in the study, but notice what he says here in Matthew 6.21. He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's just, for, and I just, I can't help it. I wasn't going to talk about this, but let's assume that this represents your treasure. Inside of it are riches beyond our wildest imagination. I mean rubies and diamonds and gold. And you say, well, gold's extremely heavy. I know, but I'm extremely strong. So this represents all of your riches. The Bible says, now watch what it says. It does not say, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Did, did you, do you see what the path... This is important, by the way. It doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you something. Where's your treasure tonight? Where's your greatest investment? I wonder if it's sitting in the same place that this box is tonight. In the house of God. In the things of God. Or is your greatest investment in the things of the world? Because see, where your treasure is, is where your heart is also. And again, I'm not talking just necessarily dollar for dollar, but I'm telling you, don't tell me that your heart is where God is unless your treasure is investing in the things of God. Because the Bible teaches very differently when it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And some have ignorantly permitted their hearts to be knit together with the world over a few lousy dollars. And I say ignorantly. They really did not realize how it was going to ultimately trap them. And you know, the truth is, in this room today, none of us are really rich in here. Nobody's rich. I mean, you say, well, I know somebody's got more money than I got. That has nothing to do... I'm telling you, nobody in this room is rich. Not in the world standard. I mean, rich. When I think of rich, I think of somebody that's, that can go out and buy a car anytime they want. I think about somebody that's got so much money they could take a trip around the world for $175,000 like that if they wanted. I think about rich where they wouldn't have to work if they didn't want to. I mean rich, you know? At least financially. There's many of you ought to be rich. You should feel rich in your faith. But my point being is, in finances, none of us are really rich here. However... Get this, you don't need to be rich in America to be bound by money. You know, if we're not careful, we get the idea, well, rich people, that's all they care about is money. Let me tell you something, ain't nobody rich in this room, and I can promise you this, there's somebody in this room that's probably bound by finances and money. That they make their, your decisions for you. You, you base what you give each week off of what you still have left in the bank, not based on what the scriptures teach. 
Just thought I'd throw that out there. But you're not bound by money. I get it. You're not bound. It's, money's not the issue. It isn't. What's ruling your spirit then? If you are able to defer or to depart from the word of God and do things your way for something other than God, then that rules you, not God and not his word. Then you are bound by that thing. Money binds believers. And you know what? None of us really have any of it. And yet we still allow it to bind us. If I only made more money, if I only had more money, I would give. You wouldn't believe what I would give if I had money. Yeah, okay. We don't even have it and we don't give what we have. It doesn't get any easier to let go of. If anything, it gets more difficult. Because the more money you have, the more you want. We become slaves to our pursuit of money and possessions in America. Now, unfortunately, that's affected the church. Now, let me give you some warning signs, and we're almost done here for tonight, but let me give you some warning signs that you may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. That, that's a cool little thought, isn't it? I mean, think about that. That's, that's pretty good. Now, I don't know if they're going to be good, the things I list, but that's a good thought. So, warning signs that you may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. I was just thinking about this this afternoon, and I kind of had some things already in order, and then I just started thinking, what would be some signs that somebody could be a slave to their possessions or money? I just started kind of ripping a few things off. Here's a couple of them. You continue to work overtime even though you really don't have to. That's, now, now watch, I didn't say you were a slave, I didn't say you were a slave to money and possessions because you do that. I'm saying, what are warning signs that you may be? See, you're going to have to ask yourself some questions here. I'm telling you this though, if you continue to work overtime, even though you really don't have to, you may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. Just a thought. Number two, you allow money to determine your decisions. I mean, again, as we mentioned already, I know what God says, but. Oh, I know, I feel that I was called to the ministry, but boy, you know what? I just don't know if I'm willing to give up certain things for the ministry. What, you mean like money? Well, oh, but you don't understand. I have a family and I'm responsible to provide for them. Oh, that's right. That's more important than your call. That's more important than what God's purpose and plan for your life is. That means money's making your decision. I made up my mind a long time ago. Years and years and years before I ever became a preacher. I made up my mind I would never let money make my decisions for me. And there was a long time I had none of it. I had enough to get by, and God supernaturally intervened on, my, on behalf of me and my family. And if it wasn't for God, we'd have never made the bills. I still remember my, I've told the story before, but I still remember my, my uh, landlord coming to me, and we'd, just had our, we'd had our fourth kid, and we were in a two-bedroom apartment, and, and he'd come by one day, and I don't know why he said it. He said, hey, uh, are you thinking about getting another place? I said, sure, I'm thinking about getting another place. He said, you know, I got some. And he said, by rights, I could kick you out of here because you have four kids now in a two-bedroom apartment. And I said, I'm sure you could. 
He said, I do have an apartment you can rent from me, however. It's a three-bedroom. I said, is it the same amount of rent? And he said, of course not. It's more. And I said, well, then I can't afford it. And he said this, as I stood on the balcony and he was down, on the, 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 down in the parking lot, he said, looked up at me and said, yeah, you young people are all alike. You, never, you, 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 you don't realize how much money you really have. And I said, I would love you to teach me sensei. Now, I didn't say sensei. But I said, I would love you to come up and help me understand how I can come up with the extra money that you, I would need to move into your other place. And he said, sure. He came up those steps. He marched up the steps. I had him take a seat there beside me, and the two of us sat down. He said, now, how much money do you make a week? I said, $206. And he said, all right. How much money does your wife make? I said, right now, my wife doesn't make money. She is staying at home with the kids. How much money do you have from child support or some kind of other income? I said, zero. He said, wait a second. You make $206 a week gross and your rent is $375 a month, and you don't have any other income? I said, absolutely not. And he said, I can't help you. You shouldn't even be able to afford the place you're in. And I said, I know. Now please remain seated while I tell you how I can. And there I had an opportunity to witness to him about what God's been doing in our lives and ministry and what God's doing supernaturally. I made up my mind I would never let money make my decisions. And you know what? That's a good thing to do. Number three, you may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions if you struggle sharing the blessings of God that God has given you with others. If you struggle sharing the blessings God's given you with others, you just may be a slave to your money and possessions. You say, what do you mean? I'm not, listen, I just bought a new car. There's no way in the world I'm going to go pick up some stupid bus kid and bring him into church and they're going to get my seats all dirty. You just may be a slave to money and possessions, my friend. Oh, I, I couldn't have certain people over to my house. Now, there's some at the church I'd have, but there's some of those who would have those dirty, rotten kids in there. They, I could feel the grubby hands all over my stuff, and I can just see it right now, and it would be a mess, and they'd probably tear up my place. And Yeah, I see it. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's all about God. It's all about the Spirit. You're right with God. you got such a good, tender heart. My friend, if you can't share God's blessings, and I'm not saying be stupid about it. I mean, you got a kleptomaniac in the church. There's probably a few of you. And you know that. Don't invite him to your house because stuff will come up missing. I get it. Especially if you have the Kavanaugh kids in your house. I'm teasing. <laughs> we just watched them, so I thought I'd throw that in for good measure. Actually, we still have all of the uh, silverware, the real stuff, and it's still good. We did have to hide it, but it's still there. (laughs) 
Listen, all I'm saying is if God's blessings, you're not able to share those with others, maybe you are a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. How about this one? You hold grudges toward folks who broke, stole, or abused one of your possessions. Somebody borrowed your mower. And when it came back, it was dirty. You were ticked off at them. Not just because, not just because they, they, you, you could have said, hey, brother, listen, I, I appreciate the fact, you know, I don't mind bar- lending this to you, but I want to teach you something about being a good character in the Christian life. When you lend something to somebody, it ought to come back equally as clean as it was. You settle it, you face it. Instead of getting an attitude, you just go ahead and address it like men. But instead, you get upset. Man, don't they realize that's a brand new mower, man? I let them use it and look how it came back. That's a brand new mower. Wow, okay. I don't know, you... Somebody might have stole something from you. Boy, all you can see is what was taken from you. Nothing else matters. It's just, man, that was mine. I, I, I sacrificed to get that. That's all about me, man. I'm just saying, maybe if you hold grudges toward folks who broke, stole, or abused one of your possessions, maybe you're a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. How about this one? You will share your things or money with others but only when it makes you look good. Only when it makes you look good. You know, there's certain people you'll give it to and you, you look forward to doing that because when you do that, it makes you look good in their eyes and you go, <laughs> yeah, I'm just that kind of guy. I'm that kind of gal. You know, I love people and I love the Lord and I don't mind lending things to certain people and giving things to certain people and I don't mind it. Lord willing, it don't get broke because you'll be losing your mind probably. But the fact is there's certain ones you'd do that for. But then there's another brothers and sisters that would come up and say the same thing. Boy, I could really, uh, I don't think so. Not because you worry that they would be more apt to break it. Not because they, they uh, uh, would maybe, you know, have no regard for your property. But just they, they really, it serves no purpose to give it to them because you don't want nothing from them. You don't need nothing from them. Just maybe, could possibly, you might be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions if you'll share your things or your money with others, but only when it makes you look good. How about this one? You allow God, your spouse, or children to suffer, relationally speaking, because of your pursuit of money. I mean, it's obvious that your wife's suffering because of your pursuit of money. It's obvious that your children are suffering because of the idea that you feel that possessions are that important. Well, we need to take a vacation every year, and your poor kids are thinking, boy, I'd just rather have dad around every once in a while. You know it. It's obvious. You can tell it. You see it in them. Your wife's saying, honey, they really need to see you a little more often. And listen, nobody in the room is a supporter of hard work and long work than this guy right here. I have no problem working 16 hours a day. That's that's okay. That has to happen if you're going to build a church. But I'm telling you this. If anybody should suffer for that, it should be me first. Not my wife or kids. 
Not that everybody doesn't suffer any time when a parent has to work those kind of hours or even 12 hours a day for prolonged years. But the fact is, is that the, the fact is this, that when you know your kids need you and you still neglect your children because you are pursuing something that you don't even need, you just want. My friend, you just may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. And finally, you find your personal worth or value in your paycheck or what you possess. Listen, this is not uncommon. We grow up in a world where if we didn't have anything, we somehow get the idea that if I just can make good money and I can have a nice house and I can have a nice car and we have all these good intentions. It's all about really, you know, just I want to provide well. No, it isn't. A lot of times, you know what it is? It's the man thinking, if I can do that, then I can prove that I'm somebody too. I'm tired of being a nobody. And by providing those things, I prove to myself and to others that I'm as good as they are. We get our self-worth and our value from what we make and what we possess. And if that's you, if you are fueled by trying to live up to an expectation, trying to somehow prove to others that you are as good as they are because you have the things they have or could if you wanted, then my friend, you just may be a slave to the pursuit of money and possessions. So we're geared to think that success is measured by the abundance of our material wealth. When in reality, a man's success is measured by fulfilling God's plan and purpose for his life. Boy, the Bible has a great deal to say about our attitudes toward physical possessions. And again, we'll continue with this study as we move along, but I want to encourage you to really evaluate your attitude toward money and possessions. I've always said jokingly, but I mean it with all my heart. I heard a preacher say this years ago, and it kind of caught. Green goes with every suit I own. There's nothing wrong with money, my friends. But we better be careful what our attitude is toward it. That's all. Because in the end, righteousness ought to reign, not riches in our life. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we have together. And again, Lord, a very simple thought tonight. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our lives. And Lord, it's so hard. I I can't imagine young people today growing up in this culture, this society that is so materialistically driven. Lord, and then to say things to them like, it, it's not as important as what the world says. They, they got to think we're out of our minds sometimes. They got to look at us cross-eyed. Lord, may they get a hold of this truth from the Word of God. May they, even the young people, the Spirit of God, reach down in their heart and their soul and help them to realize there's nothing wrong with possessing things as long as we understand the purpose of the possessing. As long as we get it. As long as we get your mind on it. And we have a humble spirit. We have a spirit toward righteousness that exalts and honors you. Father, bless us tonight. Be with this invitation. And then, Lord, be with us as we go this evening. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.